Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you guys. We have come to the end of the fast, which we're very excited about. It's been a great experience for me. I just wanted to share what I've been fasting from, if that's all right, real quick. I actually decided to fast from three different things, all right? I tried to go, I tried to go for it this time. And what I, the first thing I fasted from was sweets. It's pretty common. How many of you have done sweets? Challenging, right? It's been, it's been tough. The, the second thing that I'm fasting from is sweet tea. Anybody else done sweet tea? Got some other Southerners in here. I'm a Southern boy at heart from uh, South Carolina, and I'm pretty sure they fed me sweet tea as a baby and not milk. I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. The third one's kind of weird. It's a little strange. I fasted from mustard. Anybody else? Anybody else done mustard? Do I have any friends? No? No, I'm alone on that one. Well, the reason is I love mustard. I absolutely, I put it on sandwiches, hamburgers, hot dogs, all these lunch things. And so, honestly, I've been completely lost at lunch for the past three weeks. I'm calling my wife. I don't know what to eat. It doesn't work without it. You know, I'm like a lost little boy. I don't know what to do. So it's been a, a little bit of a challenge for me, but it's been great. But two weeks in is when I started to really hit a wall, right? Two weeks in, I've started to feel the cravings and I started to feel really temptations with this, and I almost gave in a few times, even without thinking. But uh, two weeks in, I, I had these cravings. Uh, and, and the definition of a craving is this. It is a powerful desire for something. And I, I like that because last week in our student connect groups, we have connect groups on Sunday mornings, our junior and senior girls, our leaders found out that what they're fasting from mostly is sweets. And you saw one of them on there. So we were talking about temptations last week, and one of our leaders decided it'd be a good idea to bring in a big tray of sweets of, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. I loved it as a youth minister. Brownies, cupcakes, I mean, this huge, beautiful, it's like glistening in there, you know, they're just staring at it. She puts it right in the middle of their group for the 45-minute group just to stare at. How awesome is that? They, they wanted to, like, get rid of her. They don't want her as their leader anymore, but I loved it, right? Beautiful for temptations. It was awesome. I, I don't think they stole any. I think they were good. But we all understand this whole idea about cravings, don't we? We, we crave certain things in our life. And even taking your mind off of the idea of food, we have powerful desires for certain things in our lives, don't we? Maybe, maybe some of us have desires to really have a, a great marriage, to be a good husband or to be a great wife and to have a really strong family. Maybe some of you want to be better parents and you have a, a craving and desire to really, really develop your children in the best way. I'm sure most of us in the room have a desire to do well in our careers to succeed, you know, and to, to continue to move forward in that. Maybe we want to make more money to provide for the family. But you fill in the blanks in your life, whatever it is. I'm sure we all can understand this idea of a powerful desire for something in our life. And one of the, the greatest things about God to me and our Savior Jesus Christ is that he can identify with us with our cravings. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus can identify with, with our desires, our cravings, but also our temptations. And we see this in Matthew chapter 4. And before that, to set it up, Jesus had just been baptized. And the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and was resting on him. This beautiful picture. 
And the very next thing that happens is found in, in the first two verses of Matthew chapter 4. And, and here's what they say. It said, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so you put this into context. Jesus, he, the first thing that the Spirit leads him to do is to go into the desert and to be tempted by Satan. Which is, which is pretty incredible in itself. But not only that, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Double what you and I have been experiencing in this fast. And Jesus is in this hungry state. He's weak and he's being tempted and, and he's having these cravings. And church, there's one thing that Jesus had that fully satisfied his cravings. There's one thing that he filled himself with to satisfy his deepest craving. But before we get further into cravings, to, to develop a craving in our lives, we have to have a little bit of a taste of something, right? For, for me, I have no desire or craving for coffee because, and I'm a youth pastor, get this, I've never had one cup of coffee in my life. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I know, how many of you are fasting from coffee? Yeah, probably the hardest thing you've done in your life, right? So many people love coffee, and I see the obsession with it. I just don't want to have that in my life, and so I don't have a craving for it. Because I haven't really tasted it, I have no real desire for it to be in my life. And here's the thing. Our scripture today is from 1 Peter chapter 2. And what Peter opens us up with today is this idea of something that he desires for every single one of us to taste. To get just a simple taste of it so that we would develop a craving in our lives to fulfill us and to satisfy us with the things of God. He wants us to have a taste of something so we develop a craving for more of it. And here's the scripture. It's in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It's on the screen. It says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, and so that by it you may grow up in your salvation... Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's what Peter's saying. Is that if you just get a little taste of God and the things of him, you will develop a craving to have more and more of him in your life. And the goal and the value of that is that we continue to grow and to be built up by the Lord to become who he is calling us to be. But Peter says it starts with a taste. Now, this is illustrated really well in, in a, a, a book in, in the Old Testament. It's 2 Kings chapter 22. And this story, I'm going to open it up for you, is, is about a man named Josiah. Can you say his name with me? Josiah. And he is the 16th king of Judah. And now Israel and Judah, they've split into two separate uh, places. And, and Judah is the southern kingdom. So you can think of it as the north and the south like in America. And so Judah is, becomes the 16th king, and what we remember most about him is that he became king when he was eight years old. King of God's nation at eight years old. You know what I was doing at eight years old? I was playing in the sandbox and trying to talk my mom into why I shouldn't take showers, right? That's what I was doing at eight years old. And this little boy, Josiah, at eight years old, is chosen to become king of God's nation. And here's how it kind of unfolds. Josiah's father is Amnon, who is the current king of Judah. 
And Amnon had some drama with his officials. The officials didn't like him. They decided to kill him. It's like Survivor, but almost more. They just get him out. They just remove him, okay? Then what happens is the, nation, the people of Judah, they don't like that. They come and they kill all of the officials and remove them. And so they've wiped out all of the leadership in this nation. And we thought America had problems at the top, right? There is drama all through Judah and their leadership. And so the people of Judah decide, we're going to make this eight-year-old, the son of Amnon, the king of our nation. So at eight years old, he's leading this nation. You fast forward 18 years. Josiah is 26 years old. He's actually my age. And he's been doing his very best to lead this nation in the best way that he could. And and how the story goes, he sends his secretary to go to the temple to talk about some things with money and to make sure things are going well. So he sends his secretary over to, uh, to speak to the high priest in the temple. They go through some things. They figure it out. And then the high priest stops him, and he says, Hey, I found this book in the temple. Why don't you take it to Josiah, your king? And so the secretary takes it, and he walks back. He gets, he gets back to where Josiah is, and he tells him, Look, we took care of all those things, but, but I, I was given a book by the high priest, and he told me I should read it to you. And Josiah says, Well, read it. And this is where the story changes. You see, this is where Josiah has a life-changing, life-defining moment. Because what happens is the secretary opens up the book and he starts to read. And what he realizes, Josiah realizes that this is the word of God. And what he realizes is Josiah, he's been leading this nation as best that he could by himself. But he's been doing it without the structure and the guidance of God's word. And look what he says in in verse 11 of chapter 22. He says this, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. You see, Josiah heard the word of God and he was filled with regret. What he realizes is he has been missing out on something in his leadership and really in his life. And he was devastated. He was devastated by it. He tore his robes and he was mourning because he knew he was missing out. It reminds me of a, of a friend I had in college. Uh, I played soccer and, you know, I was trying to develop in my faith in college. And so I would bring my Bible on trips and, you know, on the bus. And all these guys would see me. I was at a secular school. They would see me and wonder, what in the world is he doing, you know, in college? And my, one of my friends, he, he would always ask me, you know, what is this whole Christian thing about? And why are you reading your Bible? And what does it all mean? And I remember distinctly, we had a conversation once. He said, you know, Griffin, I think it's awesome that Christianity is important to you. I really do. I, I think it's great that God is important and you're trying to live a certain way and it's great. But you know what? I just want to have fun right now. You know, I I don't, maybe when I'm older and I settle down with a family or with a job or a career, then I'll take God seriously. You know, then maybe God will become important in my life. And basically what he's saying is when it's convenient, when I think I need it, then I'll make God important. Then that Bible, you know, then, then I'll apply that to my life. And I remember thinking about that. And I said, he does not know what he is missing because he hasn't even tasted it yet. 
See, my friend, he, he had so many assumptions and things about preconceived notions about the Bible and what God expects and hopes for us and living by all these rules, and he hasn't even tasted it yet. And he had no idea what he was missing out on. And it's similar to Josiah because when he hears the word of God, when he had one taste, man, he developed a craving for more of it. You see, what we learn from Josiah and the, and the nation of Judah is this. And you can write this in your, in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Here's what we learn. Is that the absence of God's word causes deviation from God's purpose in our life. See, what Je- Josiah did when he, when he heard the word, he implemented all of the things in the book of the law. And he changed the entire nation by God's word. You see, he realized he was doing it on his own until he tasted the things of God. And church, I wonder how how many of us are in the room and with our families or with our marriage or even with our jobs or, or you name it, but how many of us were trying our best on our own to make things happen, to make things work, but we don't know what we're missing out on with the word of God because we haven't even tasted it yet. You see, what Peter tells us is that it starts with a taste, and it develops a powerful craving and a desire in your life. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons people don't read the Bible, and it's really not important to them. I want to just, just for a second, I want to talk about three of them. And maybe you identify with it, maybe you don't. But I think one of the reasons people don't read the Word is because they don't know where to start. You can fill these out in your bulletin as well. They just don't know where to start. I mean, do I start in Genesis and read all the way through to the end like a book? And when I can't pronounce half of Leviticus, what do I do then, right? You know, do do I start in Proverbs, which applies to a lot of things in life? Or do I start in the Gospels, the New, the Old Testament? There's a lot of questions. It can be confusing. But here's my suggestion. I, I think we always start with Jesus, I think the best place to start is to keep it simple, and we learn about why Jesus came to this earth and what he means to the world and to our lives. Because then what you realize from his story is that the Old Testament is an anticipation of the Savior Jesus coming to the earth, and then the New Testament after the Gospels is a spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And so really, everything hinges on Jesus. He is the foundation of all of Scripture. So if we're looking for a place to start, man, we get all of Jesus we can because it seeps out into every other piece of the word. So maybe, maybe if it's not that one, maybe this. I think a lot of people think that the Bible is hard to understand. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have ever thought the Bible is difficult to understand? Let's be honest. Good. I'm right there with you. Actually, our youth team we serve in the little kids area, the SSK, with uh, the little kids at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning. And every, uh, you know, about once a month, we do a trivia recap game with the kids. And a couple months ago, I was leading that game, okay? This is third through fifth grade. I'm leading the game, and it's multiple choice. And I asked a question to the kids, and I assumed that I knew the answer, right? And then I say the answer, and the, the real answer pops up, and their faces just went, And they go, one of them goes, aren't you the teacher? (laughs) I took him outside and we had a talk. No, I'm just kidding. But I got it. I got it wrong. The Bible is hard to understand. There's there's a lot of different things to take in and and to realize. 
But here's what I've learned from the Bible. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up with trying to apply every piece of the Bible to ourselves. And the Bible does apply to us in a lot of ways. But I could make the argument that the Bible is really applied to God. And here's, here's what I've learned. It's not about knowing a book when you're reading the Bible. It's about knowing God. Can you, can you say that with me? I want you to get this. It's not about knowing a book. It's about knowing God. And so if we read the scriptures to understand our Heavenly Father better, man, then we start to realize what this all means. I'll put it to you this way. This Thanksgiving, we, uh, we had a great time with our family. We went to my parents' house, and uh, we, actually, we had a bunch of family. And then one of my best friends and his wife came over because they don't have family in the area. So we're celebrating. And, and here's the thing. I have a seven-month-old daughter. Her name is Harper. And my wife and I have really tried our best not to be the overprotective first-time parents, and we failed completely with that. You know, with people coming up at the grocery store trying to touch her, we're like, get out of here, don't touch her, dirty, don't touch her, you know? We're just like, just stay away, we got her, you know? So we come, we decided for Thanksgiving, we're just going to relax. We're going to take it easy, let the family, you know, play with Harper. And of course, you know, we walk in, people, like my family's forgotten my name. They just grab Harper and like, see ya, you know, they love it. But what we did is we set up the whole living room in a circle and we set up, you know, in the carpet where Harper just plays and, you know, the focus is on her the whole time. So my my friend, he comes in and uh, we're like, all right, we're going to let him play with him. And now come with me. Here's, here's what happens. He's got her, you know, under the arms right here, just holding her, facing you guys, facing that way. He's holding her. You know, you'd assume most people know what babies are capable of. You'd assume, right? And she's five months old at this point. She can't walk. She can barely crawl. She definitely can't sit up by herself. But apparently he didn't know that. So he, uh, he's holding her like this, and someone distracts him. <laughs> And, he, and I'm back here watching this happen. He gets up and he lets go. She falls forward like a ton of bricks, right on her face. Just fall. She's okay, you know. She cried a little bit. But here's the best. I'm back here. I'm looking. It's like that slow motion. No. You know, I'm trying to like grab her. And she just falls face forward. Here's the best part. My friend looks back at my daughter and goes, oops, be careful. <laughs> what? Dude, you be careful. What are you talking about? What are you, she's five months old. She just falls over, you know? Like, oh my gosh. Now we're way overprotective, you know? And so I watched that happen. There's two, there's two things I learned from that. Don't ever let him touch my daughter again, number one. That's number one. No, they made up. She doesn't cry anymore around him. We're okay. Here, but here's what I really took from that. Is that I expected him to understand what my daughter was capable of. But how is he going to know what she's capable of if she hasn't spent any time with her? How does he know what she is capable of if he, ha- if he hasn't spent any time with her? And I think it's the same with God. How do we know what God is capable of in our lives if we haven't spent any time with them? Man, the Bible is God's storybook to us explaining how incredible he is. The more we crave and taste the word of God, the more we understand who he is. But it takes having a taste, and it takes getting to know more about him. So maybe you feel it's hard to understand. The third one is this. Maybe, maybe, you know, a lot of people feel like the Bible is 
doesn't uh, have any value to them. We don't see any value in it. I got to be honest, when I became a Christian, when I was in high school, I fell into this category. You know, I was really young in my faith, and I'd read the Bible, and I didn't know what it I didn't know what it meant, and I was like, how does this help me get a girlfriend? How does this help me with my future? You know, that was my mindset. I just, I didn't think it had any value. A lot of people think it's out of date. How does this book from this many years apply to my life now? And all these questions. But here's the thing. When it comes to reading the Bible, God doesn't want more from you. God wants more for you. I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking that this Bible is something that we're just supposed to read because, because we're supposed to. And what God says in his word is that I have so much value for you in every aspect of your life. You've just got to taste it. You've just got to taste and see how good it really is for your life. So here's what I want to do real, real quick. For just the next few minutes, I want to give you five values of the word in your life and in our lives. And we could talk of hundreds of these. I just want to get the wheels in motion. I just want you to get you thinking about how does the Bible really give me value in my life. And here's the first one. It's this. It's that it keeps you from sin. Now let's be honest. How many of you would love to stop sinning in your life? Wouldn't that be nice? Right? And so the Bible, and and Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I'll read it. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. So what he's saying is if if you decide to live in, in the confines of Scripture, here's the value. If you live by the way God intends for you to live, here's the value for your life. It says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, and so as we live how God intends us to live, we start to learn what God's purpose is for us. But the more we deviate from his word, the more we deviate from the purpose that he has in our life. So it keeps us from sin. Next one is this, is it lifts your burdens. There's a great verse in Matthew 11 that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Gosh, I'm thinking about so many things that I juggle in my life. You know, I'm a a youth minister. I hang out with teenagers, and I like it, the burdens that come with that. I've got, uh, you know, I'm married for three years almost, and I've got the seven-month-old. I'm in seminary. I mean, I've got all these, you know, all these things. And I'm sure all of us feel burdens. And what the Word reminds us of is that Jesus wants to remove them. He wants to take them off of you onto himself, and he already has. So it helps us with our sins, it helps us with our burdens, and it also guides our steps. I love this one because uh, I have the worst sense of direction in the world. And I inherited that from my mom, so I blame her. I think she gets lost going to the bathroom at night. I mean, we get lost going everywhere. I got my wife and I lost in Tennessee on our honeymoon, and she knew what she was in for after that. But see, what, what Psalm 119.105 says is, Your word is a lamp to my feet. And it's a light to my path. And I love this because not only does God show you the right path to take, he's also a lamp to our feet, so we see where our feet are already going. And so he not only shows us where to go, the word kind of tells us where we're already moving. And maybe some of us are moving in, in a direction away from God, and he just wants to bring us back. So it guides our steps. And number four, 
is it, it leads you to wisdom. I love this one. You know, I think a lot of people pray, and you probably pray during the fast for God to give wisdom in, in different areas of your life, which is great. Sometimes I think that God's answer to us when we ask for wisdom is that I've already given it to you. It's that I've already given you so much wisdom and, and so much guidance right here in the word. Have you tasted it? Have you tasted how this applies to your life and your marriage and in all aspects of your life? And we ask God for more wisdom and help in certain areas, which is great. I think sometimes he's saying, I've already provided it for you. You just got to taste it. You just got to let it sink into your life. So he gives us wisdom. The last one is I think God, he brings us back to him. It brings us back to God when we read the word. See, God's word is a revelation into our lives of who he is. And the more we sink into it, the more we lean in, gosh, the more we crave and have a desire for more of him. I told you earlier about how Jesus identifies with our cravings and how he was in a fast for 40 days, double what we've been doing, and he's hungry and he's weak and he's in need and he's being tempted in incredible ways by, the, by Satan. And I said, there was one thing, there was only one thing that fully satisfied Jesus in the midst of his cravings. And you know what it was? It was the word of God. And in Matthew 4, chapter 4, here's, here's what he says in response to these temptations. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In his deepest cravings, church. The only thing that satisfied Jesus fully was the word of God. Man, we have the same exact desire for you guys in your life here at Harborside. We have desire for you to taste and see how good God is in your life and to crave more and more of him so that you will grow up in the purposes that God has for you. And so here's what we're asking you to do. As you move forward in this year and as we come out of the fast, what we would challenge and encourage you to do is to spend 15 minutes with God a day. Here's the thing. Spending 15 minutes with God a day, we don't think this could be a life-changing or a life-defining moment for you. We know it will be. We know if you decide to taste and see how good God really is in his word, your cravings and your desires for your life will be fully satisfied in the, in the Lord. But you see, it takes just having a little taste. And so now that we've fasted, Harborside, it is time to be fed. It is time to fulfill our desires and our cravings with God and his word. You know, I was thinking about this and how, you know, how important the Bible is in my life. And, and when did it click for me? When was my life-defining moment? When, when I tasted God's word and it became real. And it happened a number of years ago. I said, you know, when I became a Christian, you know, I didn't see a lot of value of, of the word of God in my life. But I had a grandfather who was just incredible. I mean, he was... He was a guy I looked up to so much. He was, he was someone I learned from in all aspects of life. And unfortunately, he, he went through a couple of battles with skin cancer. 
and it was an, over a number of years, and, and you know how that goes. It, it just depleted his body, and uh, we just watched it just take him over. But what was amazing about him was that through all of these challenges and all the chemotherapy and all of the, the stuff he had to endure, he was still the amazing man that I remembered even before that. And what I remembered is he had so much strength and he had so much will about him. He was still an incredible husband. He was an incredible grandfather and, and father. He was just amazing. And I remember thinking, how does he do it? Battling this, this fight with cancer, how does he have so much strength to fight through it? And then I got it. Because at his funeral, they read one of his favorite Bible verses to all of us. And the verse was Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And the verse says, So do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Gosh, when I heard that scripture and how important it was to his life, I got it. At that moment, church, I tasted how good the word is because he did not live on bread alone. And in his worst moments, he believed in the promises of the word of God. And that is the only thing that gave him the strength to keep going and to keep being the man that he was. He found strength in his worst moments in the word of God. And it changed everything in my mind. He said, I want that. And at that moment, I tasted how good God's word was. And it developed a craving. And I started to dig in a little more. God started to work in my life and he showed me my purpose man is amazing maybe some of us don't really know what we're missing out on because we haven't tasted it yet God just wants to fill you with the value of his word and he wants to let it lead your life in powerful ways now that we have fasted it is time to be fed 15 minutes with God will change your life 15 minutes a day what could it do for your life for your marriage for your family. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, if you would, and we'll close with this. We're going to invite our prayer partners forward here to the front. And if you've got a burden or if you've got a prayer request or if you've got something on your heart that, that you'd love for someone to just hear you out and pray for you, these men and women would love to talk to you and, and just pray for you. Harborside, we are encouraging you to just have a taste of how good God is. Man, when you start to develop a craving for what he has in store for you, gosh, you'll never look back. It'll be a life-changing moment for you. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. God, you have given us so many incredible things, mainly your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. But God, you have given us your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, what would 15 minutes a day in your word with you do for our lives? God, what would happen if we just had a taste of how incredible you were? God, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us and provided. God, may you help us and strengthen us to seek you and taste how good you truly are. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week.